Well, we are coming to the end of James. So if you have a Bible, I'll invite you to open either your physical Bible or your app or whatever to James chapter 5. And we said many times through the weeks, this is week, uh, you know what, I'm not even sure, I think 11, week 11 of our series in James. Uh, we said many times that, that this, this letter from James to the church is one that no matter how many times we read it, no matter how many times we study it and pray through it, there will always be more to learn and there will always be more progress to be made. So far in these weeks, we've talked about these things. We've talked about living as servants rather than living to be served. Uh, we've talked about considering our trials as joy. How, how hard is that these days? We've talked about not just hearing the word, but doing the word, that, that our faith uh, springs us and, and sends us into action. We've talked about not being judgmental, but extending mercy. We've talked about uh, walking... Uh, how, how our works reveal our faith, that walking in works reveal the faith that we have. We've talked about being doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. It seems like James is on a bit of a run here with a couple similar things. For so many verses in chapters 3 through 5, he talks so often about watching our mouths, watching our language, considering what we type on social media would be a practical application that maybe James wasn't thinking of 2,000 years ago, but it's true. We've talked about pursuing true wisdom from God, not the false wisdom of this world. And so pursuing godliness, not worldliness. We've talked about learning to walk in humility. And Steve so helpfully led us a couple of weeks ago in seeing money rightly. I'm uh, kind of glad I wasn't here for that one, Steve. I finally gave you a tricky one. And last week, we talked about patience. And again, I suspect for, for each one of these uh, 10, now 11 weeks, we have seen some areas in our lives where we need God to do some work. And one thing I hope is that as we keep coming week after week, I don't, maybe you've heard a, a pastor say that, you know, it's Sunday's just coming. We wrap up one Sunday and the next one's only a few days away. And I think it can be similar for, for us in the congregation as well. That, okay, we've got a message, now I've got to work on this, but man, there's another message coming in a week. And so I hope that it doesn't feel like we just keep piling it on and James just keeps piling on more and more and more and we don't just give up because that could happen too. There's just too much to do, God, I, I can't do it. The thing is, we're all in this together. We are all learning together. We are all praying for progress together. And so now as we get to this text in the middle of James 5, we have yet another beautiful scripture that can that we could come at from several different angles and there's a lot of different ways that we could go at this there's so many texts that are that are like a diamond right that every way you twist it there's another facet of the text to look at but one of the things that the key things that james is doing in these last verse as as he is summing up his letter is he's trying to give us uh, some insight in how we can continue to mature in our relationship with jesus in such a way that that our obedience and our faith is emboldened and empowered. Again, we've used this language for the whole series. We've been, we are aiming for progress, not perfection. And every week we try to bring it back to the gospel, remind one another that, that only Jesus lived this stuff all perfectly. And it's through his work on the cross that we can grow in our glad-hearted obedience to him. Now, I don't know about you, but, uh, but often I get bogged down in my day-to-day -day stuff. We get maybe uh, too confident in ourselves, uh, pretty confident that we could get a live stream going on a Sunday morning, and then we get tricked by something small and it doesn't go the way we expected. 
But often that, that confidence in ourselves really affects negatively our ability to follow Jesus. Because we think we can just do it under our own steam. And so what James is saying in these verses is, listen, you need to get back to God. We need to remember it's our relationship with Him. It's our communion with Him. And that's what enables our obedience. And so in these texts, these verses, starting at verse 13, we're going to see a couple of things. Uh, first, uh, that prayer and praise essential to the life of a follower of Jesus. Second, we're going to see the, the ongoing need for confession and repentance. And finally, James is going to leave us with the hope-filled illustration of Elijah the prophet. So let's read these verses together. James 5, and we start at verse 13. He writes, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, and anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will, will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. See, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now, uh, maybe you're hearing those verses or reading those verses again, and you're thinking, yeah, yeah, preacher, I get it. We need to pray, we need to sing. What's new here? Uh, I mean, you don't have to have been around church gatherings very long to know that, that these are important things. Prayer and singing are key pieces to our relationship with Jesus, our apprenticeship of Jesus. And as I was studying this week, I was reminded again that, that sometimes I think we miss what we're actually being invited to when Scripture tells us to pray and sing. This isn't just... Uh, boxes you check off to be found acceptable before God. But rather, prayer and praise and singing together, this is an invitation to commune with the living God. This is an invitation to boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence, as the writer of Hebrews says. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how our lives are not to be segmented into areas. Here's my work life, here's my family life, here's my spiritual life. Well, we looked at Colossians 3, 4, and it says, When Christ, who is your life? And we said we want Jesus to be a part of everything, every facet, every area of our whole life. And, and this is something, I'm not sure about you, but I'm still working on this, is letting Jesus into every area of my life every time. Uh, but, but prayer is a part of our whole lives, too. Our, our prayer is a, is a moment-by-moment moment spending time with God. It's, it's not a, well, Sean's going to pray to open the service. He's going to pray after the music and board he preaches, and he's going to maybe pray at the end, too, and then he may, he's probably good for the week. But this is a moment-by-moment a, a moment thing, spending time with the Lord. Praying isn't, isn't a duty. Instead, it is a delight and a gift that we, as apprentices to Jesus, get to take part in. And we, we get to be in community. We get to commune with the Lord, the Lord who is our adoptive, merciful, generous Father. Did you see in those first couple of verses that we read how, how James basically says, pray all the time. Are, are you suffering? Are you troubled? Another translation says, just pray. Are, are you cheerful? Are you happy? Are things, do they seem to be going well? Sing praises to the Lord. Are you sick? This can be a physical sickness or a spiritual sickness or you're just not feeling well. Gather others around you 
particularly others in the church, elders, leaders in the church, and, and take it to Jesus. Whatever's going on, anything, pray. And that's the kind of relationship we're invited into with the creator of the universe. Now let me speak for our elders here at Trinity that we are honored and delighted to have the opportunity to pray with and for you. So please always feel free to reach out. We would love to, to gather as an appropriate distance or to, to pray from, from a distance. Uh, there is a form on our website too, trinitycanmore.com slash prayer that you can submit prayer requests to us. We love and are honored to be able to pray with and for you. Now, a question. Think about your relationship with God. Is, is this how you picture the Lord? Is your image of God one that sees him saying, something's not going right, get in here. Come be with me. You're happy? Let's celebrate together. Let's do this together. You're, you're not feeling well, you're sick, something's not quite right. Come bring that to me too. I, I want to be with you. I want to walk through this with you. Again, this is the privilege that we have. Again, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4, 16, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. We may have mercy and find grace and help in time of need. One writer kind of uh, summarizes and paraphrases James' words in these verses this way. He says this, for, for all that has been said so far in this letter, for all that God has commanded, for as much as I've tied this back to the teachings of Jesus, I know you're going to fall short. Do you know what I want you to keep in mind, James is saying? Just, just get in here. Get in the room. Commune with the living God. Have a relationship with him. And, and that's what we're called to. Not just living a more moral life, not just following the rules better, not just checking off the boxes of religious duties, but we are called to a relationship with Christ. So if James is leaning so much on prayer here, how should we think about prayer? I'm going to lean on some work by D.A. Carson here, but there are seven things that he suggests uh, we ought to do, and, and I think they're helpful. I hope you think so as well. The first is this, uh, that prayer needs to be planned. Now, this might sound a little bit strange, because if you've been listening, I've just said prayer is a moment-by-moment, moment, all of life thing. But it's not an either-or scenario. Yes, moment by moment, we can speak to the Lord, but too, we need to plan for things. Think about uh, the person or people or activities that are most important in your life. How do you invest in those relationships? How do you grow in your abilities or whatever else? I bet these things don't just happen. So you specifically choose time to invest into relationships, into activities, to, to grow in your, your, you know, your knowledge so that you're better at what you do at work or whatever else. These things just don't tend to happen only organically. You plan. You make a plan. When you head into the office at the start of the week and you've got a long to-do list, I bet the best way to get through it, and I know it is for me, is to get out my notepad and a pen and just start writing everything down. Get everything I can think of on the paper, draw a little box next to it so I can say, okay, here's what needs to be done. Now where can I chunk these things into the calendar? Make a plan. I, I know you know this, but there, there are so many things pulling at our attention. Family, kids, school, work, the last days of summer in the Rockies, all these things are drawing us. And if we don't make a concrete plan, then, then lots of those things might just take over our schedule. And you'll never just fit everything in. And so planning to pray might look like writing Trinity Online Prayer Meeting Tuesday, 7.30 on Google Meet into your calendar right now 
so that you have that time blocked off. Prayer needs to be planned. The second thing, you need to adopt some practical ways to combat mental drift. And again, I don't know about you, but the, the same devices that I have that, that, that I use to get so many things done, whether it's a, a computer or an iPhone or an iPad, whatever else, they can be monumental sources of distraction as well. Not only do they have the ability to be constantly beeping at you, and let me tell you, the notifications off setting on my iPhone is the greatest thing I've found, because then I decide when it talks to me. But actually, research says that just having your phone in the room with you affects your ability to function and focus. It might as well be next to you flashing, even if it's across the room on the counter, if you know it's there. Knowing that you might have a notification on your phone is just as distracting as the thing beeping at you. And so we need to make a plan. I know that, that many of us have, have seen and maybe done this too, that, that social media also brings a huge temptation to, to tell everyone what you're doing. Your prayer time and quiet time can turn into, okay, I've got this much time, what verse can I post online so everyone thinks I'm super spiritual? Now, not always, but, but I can say for me, there's a constant tension to, to project an image online. And of course, sometimes I'm, I'm reading things and, and the Lord speaks through his word or, or I get quotes or verses or something that, that I know that I've been challenged. I know that someone else will need to hear it too. And so I post that. This is, this is a motives discussion around this too. But if we are boldly approaching the throne of grace, we're not taking Facebook with us. That's not the goal. We're there to commune with God, and so we need to get rid of our distractions so we can do that. The third thing, in different times and different seasons, uh, seek out people to pray with. Yes, we're called to pray alone as well, and yes, Jesus talks about going into your room and locking yourself in the closet so that no one sees you pray. Again, this is, a, this is a, a, an image thing, it's a motive thing as well. He says, go and be by yourself so you can be real and vulnerable with him and not worry about what it looks like but we're also called to pray together. And I know that in different seasons of our lives as a family, we have found different people to pray with. One example, when we were transitioning from Calgary to Canmore just over three years ago now, we had friends who planned and made time to get together with Naomi and I and would just pray with us so that we could hear Jesus leading in our lives and our family. And I mentioned this a Tuesday night as well in our online prayer gathering that, that many times since I've been out here, it has been just fantastic to pray with people. Uh, I'm always encouraged to hear others pray, to hear what's on their hearts, to hear how the Lord is working in and through them, to hear their appeals to the Lord. It challenges me to pray better, challenges me to pray more, challenges me to pray more dangerous prayers. I've appreciated it, especially recently when someone's come to me and said, hey, listen, can we meet to pray regularly? I know that, that talking about this sometimes can make us feel guilty. Okay, Sean's talking about praying again. I stink at this. Just another guilt trip. But this, this isn't about wallowing in guilt. This isn't about not feeling good enough. Consider that if those kind of feelings are stirring in your heart, maybe it's just a correction or a conviction from the Holy Spirit that, that you need to find someone to pray with. I'm sure there's more than one person thinking that this morning. There's more than one person uh, either in the room or online thinking, listen, I need to find someone or some people to pray regularly with. Go for it. If the Lord is giving you a, a name or two right now, text them right now. That's fine. Pull your phone. I'll wait. That's okay. Send them a note right now and say, listen, 
hey, can we pray together sometime? That's about all it takes, and maybe setting aside a little bit of pride. Uh, fourth, get around people who do pray, and this is similar. Think again about how you get better at anything you do. You spend time with people who are better at it than you. I can say I'm a, a better mountain biker this week than I was a few months ago because a few, uh, every Wednesday or so I've met up with a handful of guys, uh, I've slowed them down on the climbs and they've had to wait for me after the descents and when they try to have a conversation with me on these climbs I usually answer in single words because I'm gasping for air, but I've definitely gotten better, I'd say I'm a little bit more talented, definitely more confident rider than I was three, four months ago because I've gotten around people who are better than me. In the same way, we should treat uh, prayer and all the practices of following Jesus the same way. If we want to get better, we have to get around people who are more experienced, who are further in their journey towards the Lord, who have uh, a couple more years or, or months of, of progress under their belts, people who have grown in their own prayer lives a bit, who are willing and able to pray with you. So get around people who pray. Fifth. Develop a system for your prayer lists. Now I know that some of you, your ears have just perked up thinking of spreadsheets and cue cards and highlighters and color coding and systems. This is fantastic. And others of you have, have shut Facebook right off and are saying, forget this, systems, I'm done. But before I lose everyone, this is similar to the planning piece, right? Everyone's system is going to look a bit different, but we each need to find something that works for us. As well, I think our systems will change from season to season as well. Maybe you do have a collection of cue cards. You've got a cue card for your family. You've got a cue card for your spouse. You've got a cue card for your neighbor. You've got a cue card for whatever else. And you just go through them. Maybe you use a prayer app like Echo. Maybe you have a prayer list built into your YouVersion Bible app. Maybe you just have a list written down and pinned to a bulletin board or a, or a fridge where you've just got pictures in your house posted of people to pray for. Whatever it is, Find something that works for you. And if this feels too sort of structured or ordered or systematic, it doesn't always have to be like this, but go back to point number one. We need a plan for these things, or they often don't get done. My uh, office in Calgary, from when I was at our, when we were at our church there, there was a leftover quote on the bulletin board when I moved in that actually never came down, even when I left. And it said, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Maybe you've heard that before. See, if we... If we want to grow, if we want to progress in these rhythms, we do need to make a plan. We need to see where we want to be and make some, some steps to get there. The sixth thing we want to do is we want to mingle praise, confession, and intercession and tie all these things back to Scripture as much as we can. Now, now praise is, is celebrating God for who He is and what He's done. Confession is the way we acknowledge that, that the things God has called us to, we haven't done right. We've, we've fallen short of the center. We've sinned. And intercession is praying on behalf of others. Uh, if you remember, maybe last summer, we looked through the book of Psalms and we learned how to pray through them. The recordings are on our website if you want to give them a listen. But as we walked into the Psalms, um, Tim Keller helpfully led us this way. This is from his book uh, on prayer. It says, we would never produce the full range of biblical prayer if we are initiating prayer according to our own inner interests and psychology. It can only be produced, that full range of biblical prayer, if we're responding in prayer according to who God is as revealed in Scripture. See, some prayers in the Bible, he says, are like that of an intimate conversation with a friend. 
Others are like an appeal to a great monarch, and others approximate to a wrestling match. So we must not decide how to pray based on the types of prayer that are most effective for producing the experiences and feelings that we want. We pray in response to God himself. I love how, how Keller, again here, ties our prayer to scripture and encourages us to pray in all the ways the Bible tells us to, all the ways that are in the Bible. So as you read the Bible and find a prayer filled with hope, pray that. One of the things that I, that I love about the New Testament, and maybe especially the letters of Paul, is, is he's just got some rich prayers there. Starting this fall, we're going to be working through the Gospel of John 2 here at, at Trinity, and there are some phenomenal prayers in the book of John as well. But if you're reading the book of Psalms, again, we, we talked about this, like two-thirds of the book of Psalms, 66 books in there, are these lament prayers. God, where are you? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You can pray that too. If you're reading and you come across a prayer for justice, pray that too. The list goes on and on and on. Again, this is just one more reason why we need to be regularly reading our Bibles because it teaches us how to pray. When we read our Bibles more, we will be led into praise and adoration and intercession and more. Finally, the seventh one, and I, I like this one from D.A. Carson as well. He just says, pray until you pray. If you want to learn how to pray, just pray until you pray. It may feel awkward when you start, pray through it. Maybe if you're in a group and you're praying out loud in front of a group, it feels like you may not have the right words, you may not do the right thing, it feels awkward, just pray through your prayer. Just keep going. And James says here, uh, listen, if you're suffering, if you're going through stuff, uh, we, we all are, just pray. And then he gives us even something more awkward to do if we're worried about trying to figure out how to pray together. He says, if you're cheerful, sing praise. Now there are, I think, few things as beautiful as, of, as a group of people singing praises to King Jesus. And I really hope that in the room we'll get back to that soon. But listen, I've said it here before, in our day it is weird to sing together. It doesn't happen very often, does it? Not even at hockey games anymore, because there's no one in the room. But the church gathered is usually one of those few places where people gather to pray. And I, I know it can be uncomfortable. I know we can be worried about how we sound or worried about hitting the wrong note or whatever. And when I just suggest that that might be a bit of a pride issue, well, we just want to sing. We want to sing together, sing with praise. There's a few reasons for this. Let me pass on a couple things, again, from, from Matt Chandler, who I think has, is really helpful here. He says, one of the reasons that we are called to sing uh, our praises is because singing digs deep roots. At Colossians 3.16, Paul writes this. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing praise, or singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. C.J. Mahaney calls it singing and, and singing worship songs, take-home theology. And I can't tell you how often, especially as, as my kids are getting a, a little bit older, they're five and eight, almost six and eight, how often my kids start singing along to a worship song on the radio or in the car, not necessarily because we taught it to them, but because they sung it at church or they sung it in Sunday school. And those truths are buried in their heads. I can't 
tell you how important this is to have our kids' minds filled with theologically rich songs. It's way more important and will go a lot further in their lives than them going the them them knowing the latest top 40 list or the, the classic rock tracks. I myself had a kind of an interaction with this lately. One of my, my friends on Facebook posts, here's a here's a redone like hard rock song done by like violins. And I didn't even need to listen to the song. I saw the title and the song was stuck in my head all day long. What if instead of System of a Down, I had another getting stuck in my head, right? Or, or all these other things. The second thing he says, singing digs deep roots. The second thing he says is singing strengthens us for trials. I don't know about you, but having a, a repertoire of, of worship songs either on my phone or in my head helps carry me through the tough times. And again, as I've just kind of said, I'm pretty good at getting songs stuck in my head. And when, when times are hard, having a worship song there really makes a huge difference. Think of some of the things that we have sung recently here at Trinity. Lord, I need you. How I need you. Every hour, I need you. All my life, you've been faithful. All my life, you've been so, so good. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. And having, having those things in my heart, that'll, that'll carry me through some deep, dark times. Finally, verse 14, James says, if you're sick, call the elders and have them pray over you. Anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. Now just really quick here, this is kind of typically the verse that gets keyed on in this passage, but we're going to sort of skip over it. This is a call to community to be invested in a local church, praying together for the sick. We are uh, to, to give ourselves to the common grace of medicine. This, this verse doesn't mean uh, get rid of modern medicine and just trust that if the elders come and pray, everything's going to be great. It's not the, not the oil in the verse that heals, but it's uh, rather the oil is a sim symbolic of God's sovereignty and his control. And so you pray together. So this is a call to community. As we keep reading, we'll see that, that from verse 15 a little bit longer, this is, there's the ongoing uh, ethic of confession and repentance. James says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick. The Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. This is, is a piece of our life that I think all too often we sort of silo out from the others. Confession and repentance. Think about uh, David as he writes to us in Psalm 32, talking about hidden or secret sin. Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4, he says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. This is serious. He doesn't sound very good there, does he? See, part of our, our maturation, part of our discipleship, part of our apprenticeship to Jesus is confession and repentance. And it's always interesting how, how we can look around at sort of science and the world around us and see how science is actually catching up to the Bible. However long ago David wrote these words, when I had hidden stuff in me, my bones wasted away. It was horrible. And there's studies out there now say, hey, listen, if, if you're keeping secrets, it negatively affects everything. It's like your bones are wasting away. 
that your strength is dried up by the heat of summer. It's fantastic. Some 500 years ago, the first of Martin Luther's 95 theses that he nailed on that church door says this, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of the believers to be one of repentance. We're always confessing and repenting and turning back with one another. Listen, we need one another. We need to have the courage and we need to have the humility to ask one another, listen, I've got this sin in my life and I can't get over it by myself. Will you help me? Confession and repentance. And finally, uh, in this book, the last couple of verses we have is, is James' illustration. Look at verse 16, the second half there. It says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. For Elijah was a man of a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. In verse 18, Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. If you're not familiar with the story of Elijah, we first see him back in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. In chapter 17, he was standing in front of the terrible king Ahab, who was married to Jezebel. And there had been a drought for six months already, and Elijah tells him it's going to be three more years. Now the king and Jezebel then wanted him dead. So he flees to a place, this brook at Cherith, and God takes care of him there. The brook has nice, clean, refreshing water. The birds feed him. Then the brook dries up, and Elijah says, Oh God, what have I done? The Lord leads him to a widow and her son at Zarephath, and the Lord takes care of him again there. The son dies, but Elijah brings him back to life. And then we see Elijah doing battle on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, and he calls down fire from heaven, which, come on, that's pretty cool. Ultimately, after this, Jezebel hears what happened to her toasted prophets, and she says, God, deal with me harshly if by this time tomorrow Elijah's not like one of these. She has got it out for Elijah. Now the list of feats that this prophet has done is pretty impressive. But what does he do here in this moment? He actually kind of runs away and pouts. I can identify with that a bit. In the midst of all these unbelievable miracles that he has done, that the Lord has done through him, Elijah once again questions God. He says, am I the only one that hasn't bowed a knee? He actually asks God, why don't you just let me die? Here's what I like about this. If the Bible is made up, if it's just kind of fairy tales that are meant to lie and deceive and put us under control of our religious leaders or whatever else, this part of the story doesn't get recorded. Think of, of all the places in the, in the book, in the Bible, where, where followers of Jesus just look foolish. And there's lots. If this was a made-up book, they would leave that out. But I like these goofs. I like Elijah. I like, I see how he wrestles. I like Peter, impulsive Peter, who seems to get it wrong as much as he gets it right. And then the Lord does amazing things through him. And I like them because I can identify with that. I can identify with their questions. I can identify with their doubt. It's like they're like me. Elijah has a nature just like ours. Sometimes I can see God do crazy things around me, answer prayers, speak to people, whatever else, and the next day seem to forget about him. One writer says it this way, in the midst of unbelievable miracles, Elijah questioned God. In the midst of unbelievable blessings, he doubted. In the midst of these things, we can say, no, if I was there to see or experience these things, I wouldn't have struggled like this. But instead, we see him struggling. What James is saying is, 
Remember Elijah. He had questions. He had doubted. But cling to the Lord. Go to the Lord. Know the Lord. It's the Lord who is your righteousness. It's the Lord who accomplishes all these things. Listen, for all of Elijah's doubts, for all of his questionings, for all the ways that, that he maybe should have got it better than it seems like he got it, after he names his, the, the prophet heir apparent, Elisha, do you know where the next place we see him is in the Bible? With Jesus. On the Mount of Transfiguration, ministering to Jesus. He shows up with Jesus on the mountain. Here's what, what we need to commune with God. Prayer, praise, confession, repentance. We need to just cling to him. Go to him. Know him. Let me pray for us, and then Steve and Deb are going to lead us in a closing song. Father God, thank you for these words. Thank you for this text, one that may seem familiar or have kind of familiar calls to us to pray and sing and, and be together in community and, and, and confess and repent. And, and thank you for the reminder of Elijah. And sometimes the characters in the Bible, we, we hold up on this pedestal that, are, that they're just so unlike us. We could never attain what they do. We could never be like them. And yet that's exactly what you call us to. Elijah, who had doubts, who wrestled, yet he's with you. I pray that you would speak to our lives, that you would challenge us and convict us to, to, to place places in our lives where we need to uh, grow in prayer, where we need to progress through these things. And Jesus, I ask that, that you would do it. We know you can. And so work in us today. We love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Arnie, head back to Stephen Depp. Stephen Depp. Lead us in our closing song. Well, thank you, uh, Sean, for that message and the great reminder. And uh, God gives us an incredible uh, invitation to come to His His throne and His altar and, and, and be there with Him. And, and uh, so come to the altar.
stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to our only God our Savior through Christ Jesus our Lord be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever amen thanks so much for being here with us this morning uh, thanks for joining us online as well and we will see you Tuesday night 7:30 online prayer gathering there's a link at trinitycamera.com prayer Otherwise, we'll see you next Sunday morning right here from the building. Thanks for being with us.